We're going to share in our monthly memory verse together right now and also take this opportunity to remind you that Global Outreach Conference is coming. It's going to be here uh, next week. We're going to get to hear from Emmanuel Adamako all the way from Ghana, Africa, and we're really excited, and, and we know that Emmanuel is going to be really excited. Uh, he may very well jump off our screen here next Sunday morning, but we are so excited for what the Lord is doing through his ministry in Ghana. I'd like to remind you that if you have interest in hosting a global partner when they are home for Global Outreach Conference, that there is a sign-up sheet right out here in the lobby, and you can just put your name down and uh, a global partner you could host for a meal uh, in your home. So you might want to take the opportunity to do that on your way out this morning. Let's say our memory verse together. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Revelation 14.6. As we prepare our minds and our hearts for the message today. We are continuing in 1 Corinthians, and we're talking about the wisdom and the power of God, and how so often the wisdom of God makes the wisdom of man look so very foolish. And so prepare your hearts, prepare your minds today as you listen to this song that relates to our time in God's Word this morning. of my life as the wisest of all of mankind but if god's holy wisdom is foolish to men he must have seemed out of his mind for even his family said he was mad and the priests had a demons to blame but God in the form of this angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. When we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and he opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable, come be a fool as well. So come lose your life for a carpenter's son, for a madman who died for a dream. Then you'll have the faith his first followers had, and you'll feel the weight of the beam. So surrender the hunger to say you must know, have the courage to say I believe. For the power of paradox opens your eyes and blinds those who say they can see. When we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and he opened our eyes. We in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable, come be a fool as well. So we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable, come be a fool as well.
Well, good morning, church. There is a lot of foolishness in our world today, is there not? Anyone know any good divisive issues out there today? (laughs) You found yourself in any uh, arguments around the family dinner table in the past few weeks or months, maybe? Indeed, division is a word that very accurately defines the day that we live in. Where we sit today, whether in our homes or here in the building, we are in many ways a divided people. And this is a sobering reality for the church. And it's one that requires, very realistically, a biblical prescription. As a nation, we have seen political and social division brought forth front and center on a grand scale. We are divided over our leaders, divided in our responses to COVID-19, divided over whether or not we should wear masks, divided in our approach to social issues, divided in our political perspectives. And this division has not only been found prevalent in our neighborhoods, but also at our jobs, in our homes, with our own families, and even in our churches. For many of us, relationships have been fractured. We've been shaken due to differing opinions and perspectives on matters, even from some in our own families. And some of us may sit here today and realize that our families have indeed suffered. Biblical ideals of grace, kindness, listening, humility, sympathy, Empathy, gentleness, and love have been in short order in these days. And instead, right now, as we look around the world we live in today, we are living through an elevation of the critical, the condemning, the canceling, and the judgmental. As our love for one another, for those who are different than us, for our enemies, grows cold, hatred, only grows. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warns of a day when betrayal and hatred will grow together as lawlessness increases and love waxes cold. And divisions can become very distracting. And in the face of the many divisions that surround us, perhaps as the church, we have lost sight of the one division That as believers, we should be the most concerned about. It is a division that Paul addresses very early in his letter to the people of God in Corinth. It also serves as a point of pivot in his opening. Paul has begun his letter by showing the fractured people of God in Corinth all that they had in common in Christ. Starting with the common gift of grace, he moves to show us how spiritual gifts are given as a common enrichment. He moves to show how we share a common expectation of Christ's return. And we stand in our common condition as guiltless before the Father because of Jesus. Participating in a common fellowship that's held together by Christ. A few weeks ago, we explored how Paul determined that Christ is not divided, so neither should his body and bride be divided. And in the first 17 verses of the opening of this letter, there have been at least 17 direct references to Jesus, along with an urgent appeal towards unity in Christ. And now... In verses 18 to 25, where we'll be today, Paul directs the attention of the people of God in Corinth towards the message of the cross. It is the cross that demonstrates the wisdom and power of God, but also, as we shall see in verse 18, the cross also exposes the most urgent and ever-relevant division for the church. Friends, the very mission that has been given to the church is discovered at the division of 
the cross. And there are three significant questions that must be addressed if we are to know how we are to live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church in this overwhelmingly unbelieving world. While we remain laser focused on our mission to make disciples, we also must seek to understand how do people in the world relate to the message of the cross? How does the wisdom and power of God differ from the wisdom and power that's in the world? And finally, how does God communicate and demonstrate his wisdom and power in the world? The final question is a two-part question. The first we'll answer this week, and the second we'll answer following our global outreach conference. So take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 18 to 25 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 25. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. As a people, in many ways today, we look around and we see brokenness. And we see division. And we see fracturing. And yet we know, Father, that your word teaches us that Jesus, your son, is the one who holds all things together. Lord, we need to find ourselves subdued under his lordship. Help us as we turn our eyes to your word to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, as we gather around your scriptures this morning, we pray that you would use this time to help us grow in both our love for you and our love for those that you've placed in our pathways. Help us see how the cross divides and how that division is so important for us as we're learning to live in this world in which you've placed us. Help us to honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Some scholars have admirably identified this portion of Paul's letter as Paul's ode to the cross. Certainly here in verse 18 and continuing on to chapter 2, verse 16, Paul is giving a mighty and comprehensive treatise on what godly wisdom looks like and how godly wisdom operates in and is received by the world we live in today. This section of 1 Corinthians very literally is Paul's wisdom literature. If we look back at just one verse in verse 17 where Paul has set our focus straight on Christ and his cross, he is taking the emphasis off the power of his own rhetoric. Paul does not want the salvation of the people of God in Corinth or anywhere else for that matter to be on his words, 
But rather, he wants it set firmly in God's power as demonstrated through the cross. And while Christ remains, is undivided, his cross, as we see, is rather sufficiently dividing humanity into two distinct categories. Take a look at verse 18. It describes them. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. There's one category. But to those of us who are being saved, there's the second category. It is the power of God. Friends, as it relates to the cross of Christ, we have those who are perishing and we have those who are being saved. Those who reject the message of the cross will indeed perish. And consequently, they'll be separated from God in hell for eternity. And this should be difficult news for those of us who are in Christ. For those of us who are being saved. As we sit here today, as we gather this morning, we all have family, we all have friends, neighbors, acquaintances in our lives who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And church, the reality is we should have a deep and urgent concern for how they are relating to the message of the cross. I thought Pastor Reed last week Knocked it out of the park. I know the Lord was speaking through him. He gave us so much to think about. He said this, quote, John the Baptist was a voice and we are a voice. Who or what is our voice directing people towards? End quote. Church love must compel us to share. And not just share, but to demonstrate, working out in word and indeed the effects of the cross before both the believing and the unbelieving world. We direct people to the cross of Christ because we are living as ones who have experienced its power and transformation. And by the power of the cross, we have salvation. We have hope, an undying hope. We stand against a tide of Hopelessness in our time and culture holding firmly to the anchor of Christ. God can use our voices, our words, our actions to point other people to the same wisdom and same power, this same hope and this same treasure. Paul describes us in verse 18 as those who are being saved. Notice that word that he uses, those who are being saved. Saved For those of us in Christ, the cross represents the power of God that is currently secured, though not yet fully realized in our salvation. Jesus' work on the cross is finished. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is complete, yet our salvation is not yet fully realized because though we are in Christ, we are not yet physically together dwelling with Christ. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, clinging to Christ and the hope of the cross. And friends, we understand that in the world's eyes, this may look foolish. And Paul's moving here to verse 19 to show us how God has used the cross to destroy the world's wisdom and thwart the discernment of the discerning. He's quoting here directly from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. And this is going to begin a pattern in Paul's letter to the people of God in Corinth, where he heavily relies on the Old Testament. The wisdom of the world speaks of either no need of salvation or in a way in which one can save themselves. So the world says typically one of two things. One, I have no need of salvation. Or two, yeah, I do need to be saved, but I can take care of it myself. God's wisdom, friends, is very different. All people fall short of God's glory. There's only one way to be saved. And there's nothing we can do to earn it or merit it. It is a free gift given by God in Christ. 
every other worldview, every other religious belief system in the world falls short of these realities. In some way, in every other belief system, there's a way for man to clean himself up and somehow make himself right before God. It is Christianity alone that says we can't do it. Only Jesus can do it for us. We bring nothing but great need. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, meets the need sufficiently. Salvation comes through Christ alone. Friends, this message is very foolish to the world because they cannot reconcile in all of our wisdom. We cannot understand how through death one man could save all humanity. And so Paul now moves to explore the ineffectiveness of those who oppose the message of the cross. Opposition to the cross in today's world and opposition to the cross in Paul's time stands on the sandy foundation of human wisdom. We all know what happened to the house that was built upon the sand. Did the wise man build his house on the sand? No. Was the foolish man. It is as if, though, humanity believes somehow in all of our wisdom that we can fix something that's been broken beyond repair. There are things in our home, many things, that get broken beyond repair. And sometimes we have to break the news to the kids, this can't be fixed. It's broken beyond repair. Friends, that is our world. That's the world we're living in. And all of the human wisdom, all of the human effort that we could put forth could not, cannot in no way fix that which is broken. Look at verse 20. In light of the message of the cross, here are the questions that Paul asked. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? What did wisdom look like to a person living in Corinth at the time of Paul's writing? We've already explored how Corinth was a city that shared some striking similarities to our country. It was a melting plot. It was a place of wealth and opportunity. According to the world, wisdom and knowledge, together with rhetoric and philosophy, were symbols of high class and great wealth in Corinth. In Corinth, there were people who were known as Epicureans, along with the followers of Plato, who would often debate with the followers of a man named Aristotle. There were people who were defined as Stoics and Cynics. To the Corinthian mind, wisdom had a particular sound. The wise were eloquent. They were stylish. They were persuasive in their public discourse. This was highly sought after in that culture. And with all this wisdom to the common person in Corinth, there was a way in their minds that sounded and seemed right. One that made sense within their culture. For the Corinthian, philosophy and wisdom determined how one might relate to their environment and live rightly in their world. Yet it was Paul who was himself equipped with a comprehensive understanding of the scriptures. And perhaps the words of Isaiah 55 resonate with us here. This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, Paul was not interested writing this letter. He was not interested in being propped up as another great philosopher of his age. He did not want to be put on the shelf with the wisdom of men. 
Therefore, he was not interested in playing a game of rhetorical artistry. It's not what he's doing. He cared about his words, but only cared about them in so much that they clearly communicated the realities of Jesus Christ and the cross. He knew that the only way a man could find true and life-giving meaning and make real sense of the world around them was through the cross. And Paul's commitment to God's thoughts and God's ways, specifically as they related to Christ and the cross, would make him appear as a fool to the Epicureans, to the Stoics, to those with advanced degrees in his day. We know folks with advanced degrees, don't we? Not all, but some like to make sure that we know. I'm a doctor. The question he is asking here is an important one. It's one that reverberates still today. Where has the wisdom and rhetoric of man gotten us? Is there any saving power in the wisdom and words of man? No, amen. Have we in our wisdom been able to create a world that's full of hope and love? In all of our knowledge and rhetoric, have we created an environment that's filled with peace? Has our wisdom and our rhetoric, and we've had a lifetime, some of us, some of us a little less. Have we discovered a way in our own thinking to be reconciled unto God? In all of our wisdom, have we been able to solve inequality? Have we balanced injustice? Have we clothed all those that are naked? Have we provided adequately for every widow and orphan? And have we fed every single person who's hungry? Have we rightly philosophized a way to end oppression, slavery, and war? Why hasn't our powerful and sly rhetoric and wisdom brought an end to human trafficking? Is it our minds or our words that have figured out a way to holistically provide comfort in pain, loss, brokenness, and heartache? And what does human wisdom make of addiction? Of sexual sin, of lying, of gossip, of slander. Have we figured out a way to resolve and atone for our own sins in all of our human wisdom and knowledge? There was a real hope filled flicker of wisdom and light. His name was John the Baptist. He was a voice that came and he said this. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. Doctors, be careful. Pharisees, Sadducees, be careful. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John's words show us that the answer to life's greatest questions are not discovered in our human wisdom and our human thinking and our human minds, but in God's perfect salvation. In just a few sentences quoted directly from the Old Testament, they weren't even his words. John demolishes human wisdom, showing that the world, showing the world that God's salvation levels the playing field, bringing the high and mighty low, making the crooked straight and the rough smooth. And here is Paul now, to the people of God in Corinth. He is ministering in the light of, of Jesus' finished work, he's carrying the message of God's salvation. It's a simple message. Christ is crucified. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Eternal life is given by faith in Christ alone. 
friends. That's wisdom. That's the answer to all the questions that pervade our culture. And it's the same simple message today. We don't have to dress up God's word. We don't have to pursue rhetorical artistry in order to effectively communicate the truth and effect of the cross. The cross of Christ can speak for and defend itself against all the perceived wisdom of this world. That's the wisdom and power of God. Friends, the message of the cross doesn't need to be packaged in a neat and tidy philosophical statement. It is a real, absolute, space and time truth. Jesus was a real man. He is God in flesh. He really came to the earth. He lived here. And when he died, his death atoned for our sins. His real and historical bodily resurrection, which we will celebrate in just a few weeks, it really happened. And because it did, sin and death are conquered. That is wisdom. That is power. We can be made right with God through faith in Christ alone. No philosophical words, debate. It's not needed. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God's plan all along was that humans by their own wisdom alone could not come to an adequate knowledge of who he was. We needed someone to reveal God to us. Who was going to be the great solution for all the problems that we faced? Who was going to be the one to come and to reveal God to humanity? In steps Jesus. Jesus is the manifest wisdom and power of God. His mission then and still now was and is to make God known. Listen to the words of his prayer. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. God saves people, friends. Through the message of the cross. Sometimes we worry about our testimonies. I don't really have a strong testimony. I, I was born and raised in the church. I've been in the church my whole life. I came to Christ when I was six years old. I never really messed up. No! Think about the power of every testimony in this room. Every one of us was dead. Six years old or 60 years old. What is dead? It's dead. Every one of us was brought from death to life. Every person in this room. What could be more powerful than that? Doesn't matter your circumstance. It doesn't matter the situation that you grew up in or all of the hard, difficult things that you've been through in this world. My goodness, friends, the greatest thing that could happen to every one of us, the greatest thing is that we've been brought from death to life. Amen. So powerful. So often we think we have nothing to share with the world. Because of our lives. But friends we have everything. Because we've been given Christ. It is the message of Christ. And the cross. And, and you know for the people in Corinth. It wasn't entertaining enough. They had all kinds of other things. To fill their time. And it wasn't Paul's desire or intention. To fix it up and color it. To fit their desires either. 
as Paul preached the message of the cross, there was pressure on every side. Friends, as we take this message into the world today, and our global partners will affirm this for us next week, I know, there is pressure on every side. The cross demands a response. It demands a response. And the message of the cross does not fit nice and neat into the expectations of the world in which we live. This was true in Paul's day. It's still true in our day. Look at verse 22. For Jews demand signs. He's preaching the wisdom and power of God and the Jews wanted signs. The Greeks demand they're seeking wisdom. He's preaching the most wise and precious thing that could ever be spoken and it wasn't enough for the Greeks. Powerful signs and miracles together with sparkling wisdom and rhetoric are foolishness apart from the message of the cross. And here, church, we have to pause and consider what the cross truly meant to the people who were living back then. I mean, we don't have the public's form of execution like the cross anymore in our culture and society today. The sign or symbol of the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. Because in the Jewish mind, they could never in their wildest imaginations think of their Messiah, the Savior, dying on a cross. It made no sense. It was impossible for them to consider that the one who would be their king would lay down his life as a ransom for many. They wanted a lion to reign, not a lamb to die. But Jesus is marvelously both. In their minds, the Messiah was to set up his physical throne. He was to rule with a visible iron scepter and initiate an everlasting kingdom of which he would physically preside over. Death on a cross was never to be part of the Messiah's narrative. Impossible. And that was for the Jew, for the Greek, for the Roman citizen, for the Gentile, for many of us who were in this room that would have been alive at the time. The cross was an absolute affront to wisdom. Wise people would never find themselves dying on a cross. It was a form of public execution. It was a symbol of public shame and humiliation. It was a place where no one would have desired to end their life. The cross defined utter foolishness. It was a place as far from victory as one could possibly imagine. Yet here was God using what the world perceived to be powerless and foolish to bring salvation to the world. Despite what people desired, Paul preached the message faithfully. And he exposes to us in this text how the message was received by those who heard. Look at verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. Look, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. They can't figure it out. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Still. Aren't we glad today that these were not the only two parties that there was in Paul's time? There's a third party. Paul identifies, it, identifies them as to those who are being called. The message of the cross represented something much greater than human signs or wisdom. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So then, church, for those of us who have been called the message of the cross, Christ crucified is both the sign or power of God and the wisdom of God. Those of us who are called distinctively understand this power because before Christ, there, we know there was no ability within ourselves to clean ourselves up. We were a mess. I was a mess. We were all messes 
We share that in common. Sometimes I'm still a mess. Quite honestly, there's Sundays I stand up here a mess. We need Jesus. We need Jesus not only for our salvation, but we need Jesus with us every step of every day. Just like our study in Ruth, we saw this contrast and this division between empty and full. Friends, those of us who are in Christ truly understand what it means to be moved from a state of empty nothingness to complete life-giving abundance in Christ. And that should be a place of joy, a place of hopefulness, a place of satisfaction. And when we look across the street at our neighbor who's living in hopelessness, we go to work with our coworker who's living in hopelessness and their life is falling apart and they can't make sense of anything going on around them. What a message we have. Life-giving message. Jesus has saved me. I'm so thankful. I didn't do it. He found me in my state of hopelessness. I know exactly how you feel. I stood right there. And I can tell you there's an answer. There's a powerful answer, an eternal answer, and one that will satisfy you from here to the end. No, every day won't be easy. It won't always be a walk in the park. But you can live with great hope and great peace because of Jesus and what he's done. We're made whole by Christ. Through his blood, we're restored and reconciled unto God. He makes us overcomers. Jesus has become for us the power and the wisdom of God. He is the key that opened our cell, freeing us from the bondage of sin and death. Notice that Paul indicates that it was not human wisdom which led us to discover the power and wisdom of God. Rather, it was a calling. Isn't that amazing? We didn't come to this on our own knowledge. This is a calling to those who are called. And it directs us back to verse 18. Those who are being Saved. All those who are being saved have been called. And the called friends, that would be those of us who are in Christ. We see things differently than the unbelieving world. We should. We should. We relate to the cross differently. To those who are called, it is the cross which reminds us of our Savior and our salvation. While also communicating to us the wisdom and power of God. So I love how Paul concludes this section. Isn't it so beautiful and powerful? It's, it's, it's a verse. Verse 25 is it's both brilliantly ironic and iconic. It's ironic in that Paul ends a section where he has talked openly about his own lack of rhetorical skill and acumen with a soulfully deep piece of rhetoric. And it's iconic because this verse so succinctly sums up how the cross divides those who are perishing from those who are being saved. Take a look at verse 25 with me. It was our memory verse for last month. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Friends, in the world's eyes... God is foolish. In fact, the Bible confirms that the fool saith in his heart what? There is no God. That's scripture. God is foolishness in the eyes of the unbelieving world. Yet, friends, for those of us who are being saved, those who are called, what the unbelieving world perceives as foolish Children of God share as good and wise, life-giving. In the world's eyes, the cross is a sign of guilt. It's a sign of shame, of torment, of humiliation, of weakness. Yet for those of us who have been brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the cross was and is stronger than the human effort or will. It's power. It's the cross that subdued us. God is not foolish or weak. Yet the unbelieving world thinks and lives 
as though he is. But we know, friends, that God is all wise. He's infinitely strong. And those who are being saved live in the light of this wisdom and strength most clearly expressed to us in the person of Jesus and the power of the cross. Our team is going to come this morning and we are going to pray. Friends, we could not end a message like this on a Sunday morning without offering a call to salvation. There are some who are listening, perhaps here in this building today. There are some who are listening online who perhaps are standing on the wrong side of this division. You need to know the wisdom and the power of God today. We need to bow our heads and close our eyes. We just need to consider how we are relating to the cross of Christ. Do we see the cross as wisdom and power from God or in our minds has it been foolishness? Have we tried by our own power, by our own effort to fix ourselves and clean ourselves up only to feel hopeless, helpless, and just as dirty when we started? Let Christ clean you up right now. Let Jesus clean you up right now. Give your life to him right now where you are listening. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. He is the wisdom and power of God. Father, you are so good to us. You've given us your son, Jesus. And it's not just that he came. He didn't come and he wasn't celebrated among men. He wasn't beautiful. He wasn't rolling around town with the high and the mighty. He came lowly. You sent him lowly. And he came to a very broken and lowly people. And he took up residence with us. And Father, there could be some today who have listened to this message that do not know what it means or what it looks like to have residence with Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, my prayer would be that for all those who have heard. Who do not yet know Jesus, that even right now in these moments that you would call them to yourself. That they would believe. In Jesus Christ, that you would motivate faith within them. That you would wash them, make them clean and save them. Not because of who they are. But because of who your son Jesus is. If you're listening today. Whether here or at home and you've never. Made the Lord your savior. And I would ask you to just follow This prayer with me. Lord, this morning I recognize the state of my own sinfulness. I have been foolish. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. And I confess those to you right now. I have a terrible problem with sin, Lord. And I understand that the Bible teaches that the wages of my sin are death. And in these moments, for the first time in my life, I've realized that your son can solve my two greatest problems. And I'm so thankful for him. And so I confess my sin to you this morning. I repent and I turn from it. And I come to you with nothing, knowing that your son, Jesus, is able to make me whole and right with God. I believe these things today. In Jesus name. Amen. For those who are here in the building who are called. For those of us who believe. 
Lord, motivate within us great thankfulness, but also motivate within us an urgency to share this message. Lord, give us courage to understand the power of this message. Give us boldness to proclaim it. Perhaps many of us find the area of our greatest need is just in being made brave. And Lord, we know that your son can do that for us. So make us brave. Make us aware of those in our circles that need to hear this life-giving, hope-filled message of the cross. Lord, we trust that as we proclaim, as we live, as we share the good news, that not only will it be an incredible blessing to those who hear it, And come to salvation through it. But it will also be an incredible blessing to us. As you grow us. In our love for you. And our love for those in the world around us. We give you the glory for what you're going to accomplish in us God. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I would ask if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time with us. That you would let us know. Uh, Whether it's through a communication card or an email or a phone call here in the church. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer for the first time, send an email to us and let us know. We'd love to walk alongside of you early on in your faith journey and be part of what Jesus is doing in your life. As you go today, I would remind you that the boxes are in the back for your gifts and ties. Our ushers are going to dismiss from the back to the front. I'm excited for Global Outreach Conference. I can't wait to hear how the Lord is at work in and throughout our world through our global partners. And I look forward to celebrating that time together with you starting next week. Have a wonderful week in Jesus' name. And we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone.